You are listening to the First Baptist Jinx podcast. To learn more about FBC Jinx, including our gathering times, visit us online at fbcjinx.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Cody Brumley. Oh, well, good morning, First Baptist Jinx family. It is good to be with you and uh, be in the Word. If you open your Bibles, uh, we are studying through the book of Ezra, so we are not going to be in the book of Ezra today. You're welcome. Uh, if you brought your journaling Bible, go ahead and just flip to the back. There's some blank pages where you can take some notes there. But the, the story actually takes us out of that book. And if you're a guest with us, I'll just catch you up. First of all, we're glad you're here. If you're joining us online or in Overflow, we're so glad that you're here as well. Uh, we do want to connect with you. So in these double doors right over here, there's uh, the connect room. You can swing by after service. I want to get to know you and your family a little bit, find out what God's doing in your life. But what we've been doing as a church is going through the book of Ezra. So God's people were in exile, and God called them out of exile back to Jerusalem, and it had been destroyed. And their job was to rebuild the temple. And so they set up worship, and they start rebuilding. They get the foundation laid, and then opposition shows up. Suddenly, the work of God begins to be opposed, so much so that we got to chapter 4, verse 24 last week, which says this, And then the work on the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem stopped. So they gave in to the opposition, and the work stops, and it ceased until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. It's nearly 15 years that they just stopped working, threw in the towel. And it's a really important time stamp in Scripture, the second year of the reign of Darius, because that's going to show up six other times in Scripture. That exact date, that year is going to show up in the books of Haggai and Zechariah. If you look at chapter 5, verse 1. It says, now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Ido, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of God of Israel, who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiah, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, arose, and they began to rebuild the house that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. This is really important. We have three verses here that says the work stopped, but the work started again. And we have to wonder, what changed? What changed after 14 years of being okay with the work just sitting there neglected that suddenly they get back to work? And praise God, he gives us the answer. We have the books of Haggai and Zechariah to tell us exactly what they heard that moved them from, from God's people neglecting the work of God to being right in the middle of it again. And it's important for us to know how to do that because if you haven't experienced this, if you're a Christian in this room, you will. You will experience a day that you wake up and you just feel that no matter what you're trying to do, there's just an emptiness about it because you've been neglecting the care of your soul. And you're going to go, I, I mean, I, I think I've been doing pretty good spiritually, I don't know, but, but you're, you're going to be very aware of this emptiness and go, how did I drift so far from what I knew I should be doing with the Lord? And you're going to wonder, can I go back? I've been away from God this long. Can't can I even get back? And this text says yes. It not only says yes, it tells us how he brings us back. So flip over to the book of Haggai, which if you're confused, like why are we in the very end of the Old Testament when uh, Ezra is like right up there towards the front? You can go back to the first uh, sermon in this series where we explain how the Old Testament is structured. And so if you look at Haggai 1 verse 1, it says, in the second year of Darius. So there's that time stamp, right? This is in the same time. And this happens in the sixth month. So what is a message that God brings to his people to be able to drive his mission? It's this. In the second year of Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, to Sheltiah, governor of Judah. 
Here's what he says, verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. So verse 2 says, they justified letting God's work sit undone for 14 years. They just decided it wasn't time, which is kind of silly, right? Surely somebody was like, don't y'all remember? A pagan king decided to rebuild God's house and gave us all the money to do it and sent us here. Like, how much more of a, like, hey, the time is now, do we need? But then it got a little bit difficult. It got a little challenging. It wasn't easy. And they're like, oh, it's not easy. Must not be the right time, despite all that God had done. So they justify it. Here's the message in verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes in it. So the prophet says, you've neglected the work of God to pursue all of your dreams and to have all of these things, but you keep on coming up empty. He goes on in verse 7, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. That's the work we should be doing, what pleases and glorifies God. Instead, he says, verse 9, you look for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, the earth has withheld its produce, and I have called for a drought on the land and on the hills and on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and what the ground brings forth, and on men and on beasts and on all their labors. Drought on all of it. Drought on you, drought on your cow, drought all around. That's what's happening. Haggai reflects back on this time in chapter 2, verse 16, when he says, how did you fare before you returned to the work when it was undone he says, when you came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When you came to a wine vat to draw 50, there was only 20. I struck you and the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Now that's really important to understand because that's the life they were living in. This really busy life, busying themselves, trying to find all the things that would please their life. And it was all coming up empty. And God says, I did this and didn't bring you back. What God does is he reveals that their spiritual drought led to experiencing drought. He correlates the care of their soul, the work that they do spiritually, with the life that they were experiencing. As long as you're neglecting the work of God and the relationship of God, all the rest of this stuff isn't going to produce what you want it to. And you could think, well, that's not very fair of God. God seems kind of not nice. Oh, you're not hanging out with me? Drought on you. Now, it's not what's happening here. What's happening here is God is acting exactly as he promised he would act to them. And this is a very important lesson for us as believers, that we can expect from God what he explains in his covenant. Okay, this is a note worth taking. You can expect from God what he explains in his covenant. If you didn't know this, the way that God interacts with humanity throughout the whole history of humanity, has been through covenant relationship. 
That's why we know what we think God can do for us is because he's covenanted. It goes all the way back. There's five primary theological covenants. That, uh, there, there's more than that in Scripture. There's five primary. It starts with the Noahic covenant, right? God floods the earth, but by faith, Noah had followed God through that. And so because of his faith, God says, I'm going to make a covenant with you, Noah, that I will never again flood the earth. Instead, the earth will become my stage for my redemption story, and my sign will be the rainbow so you remember that I have mercy waiting. And then after that, Abraham comes along to start the redemption story. And God says, I'm going to make you into a family which becomes a nation that blesses all nations and all people. And my sign with you is going to be the sign of circumcision. So I'm going to mark you with this mark that sets you apart from everybody else as my own. So I give you mercy and now I've marked you. And God keeps his promise and his covenant with Abraham. And eventually his family becomes a nation and they are led out by Moses. And God says, look, I gave you mercy. I marked you as mine. Now I'm going to make you a people. So here's my law. This is what it means to be mine. Here's how you live now. And if you live according to my plan, you experience the blessing of my presence. But if you reject me by rejecting my plan, then you're going to walk in curses. And those curses are there to let you know that you left me to come back. And if you don't pay attention to those, I'm going to send a prophet to you to say, hey, the reason that you're being cursed is because I want you back. Anybody else have a song going in their head all of a sudden? I want you back. Sorry. So that's, that's what he says. So in chapter 2, verse 5 of Haggai, God says, according to the covenant I made with you when you came out of Egypt. God says, what you're experiencing is exactly what I promised I would do and how I promised I would be with you. Now for us, we're not in that covenant anymore. That covenant uh, doesn't form our life because we're not under the law, but it does inform our life because who God has been in every covenant, he continues to be. After this covenant was the Davidic covenant, which is really ironic for this text because David wanted to build God a house. That's why God gave him a covenant. He was like, I'm in, a, I'm in the palace and you're in a tent? Uh-uh. You're the real king of Israel, not me. You deserve a temple. And God says, hey, I love that, David. And since you have enough faith to build me a house, let me build you a house instead. I'm going to covenant with you that through you will come a king who will never be dethroned. And so God's people begin to look forward to a coming king. And then shows up Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31, if you're taking notes. And Jeremiah introduces a new covenant. He says, God's going to bring a new covenant. And in this new covenant, God is actually going to write his law on our hearts, meaning the spirit of God is going to be there to teach us in our hearts, and God is going to forgive all of our iniquities and all of our sins. It's what Ezekiel says whenever he says, your heart of stone is going to be removed, and God's going to surgically give you this heart of flesh where you belong to him. And if you're taking notes, Hebrews 8 through 10 explains that new covenant from Jeremiah 31, and that's where we live. We now live with this covenant, but all of these teach us what we can expect from God. If you've ever been like, why does God act the way he does? Because he told us he would. If you want to know what to expect from God in your life, know this book. This is why we are a word-driven church, because this is how we know who he is. So God uses his message, his covenants, his message to fuel his mission. God's message fuels God's mission. If we are going to be about the mission of God in all of our homes and community and life, it's going to be because it's fueled by this. So what is the message? This is where I'm going to ask for you to play an imagination game with me, okay? So just lean in if you're like, mm-mm, mm-mm, no, come on. Okay, we're going to use our imaginations. We are going to pretend that we are returned exiles. We're going to put ourselves in the story, all right? So we just went back in time. And depending on how imaginative you are, I don't know if you want to pick a name, pet, cool, 
You're there. You're a returned exile. Cyrus said, if this is your God, you can go. And you're like, I'm in. I'm going back. You leave everything that you've got, and you travel four months to get to Jerusalem. You got there, and you set up the altar with everybody, and you worship at the altar, and you do the work to lay the foundation. You're excited. God's working. Things get hard, and you're like, nah, I guess it's the wrong time. We're going to stop doing We'll stop doing God's work. You know, let's just let's start building some houses. Let's just try to enjoy life like everybody. Hey, and so that's what you that's what you've been doing. And suddenly, you it was like uh, the Creek Turnpike. Do you remember the first time you drove by the outlet mall and then there was work going on again and you were like, "What?" And people were like, "You're on the turnpike." And you're like, "Okay." But you're like, "Is that is that a, is that a thing? Is that going to be a thing?" Like that, it was that feeling. You walk by the foundation of the temple, and you see Zerubbabel and Jeshua up there. You see some other people, and you're like, what are they doing? What? what? Is, are, we, are we really doing that? Is the temple, is that going to happen? 14 years. It just lied there, desolate, nothing happening. And so you, so you say, like, hey, what happened? They're like, oh, we have a prophet. The word of the Lord came. What did he say? Like, oh, his name's Haggai. Well, what was his message? His message was consider your ways. His, his message was, you need to look at your life. The reason that you are so busy trying to build a life and have all of this and none of it satisfies is because you are neglecting God. So he said, as long as that is untouched, my life will be unfulfilled. And so you hear that and you're like, whew, that sounds pretty heavy. Listen, I love that God's work has started again. That is awesome. Great for y'all, but, but I've got a lot on my plate. I've already got a lot of commitments, things that I've like signed up to do. And maybe you don't remember, like when that mildew came through last year, like that really messed up my plans. And so I want, so y'all work, but, but I, I just don't, I don't have time. So you go on. That was the sixth month. Haggai chapter two, verse one says, in the seventh month of that year. So the very next month, you're going by and they're like, hey, Haggai's talking again. You're like, oh, what's he saying? And so you go towards the temple where the foundation is, and you see the guys that are working, and Haggai's looking at them, and he says, how many of you saw this before? I know that you think that this is little. But he says, be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord. According to the covenant I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. And he goes on to say, I'm going to do something so much better in this temple than you ever saw in the other one. So he says, get past your past and work for the future. And that's the message. You hear him saying, work for the future. There's a great future. And you hear it in your life. Man, that's Good, man, that great speech. Haggai, you're knocking it out. Here's the problem. I believe God does have a future and God's going to bring it. I also have a future. And so I love that that's happening. However, I really need to plan for like my kids and I want to make sure that they're really successful and I want to make sure that they have all the things that they need to have to get into all the places they need to get into so, so their life can be great. And I've got to work on my retirement. Like, I, hey, this body ain't going to keep up forever. And so, you know, I've got to make sure I've got that set. And so I've got a future that I've got to worry about. So I love that. And, and, and I get that. But I, I can't, I don't have time for that work. So you move on. And then suddenly, Zechariah 1.1, in the eighth month, we're a month later, in the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by the prophet, Zechariah. And again, your friend's like, hey, there's a prophet. And you're like, what's Haggai saying this time? They're like, it's not Haggai, it's Zechariah. And you're like, how many of these people do we need? 
Why has everybody got to say something? Okay, what's, what's, what's Zach saying? It's like, uh, this is his message. The Lord was angry with your fathers. Therefore, say to them, declares the Lord, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers. And he goes on the end of verse 6 to say, they finally repented, and they said, as the Lord of hosts proposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so he's dealt with us. And you're like, hey, I know our fathers didn't do great because they were the ones that got sent into exile. And he's like, that's Zachariah's point, <laughs> right? They heard the message, return to me. God said, come back to me. God said, be a part of what I'm doing. Like, invest in your spiritual life first. And they said, no, no, we, we're going to be fine. We've got a kingdom. We've got a nation. We've got a king. We're doing okay. There's no way that our life can fall apart because we've got it organized. And then Babylon shows up and their life falls apart. God takes away everything and they're exiles in Babylon. And they finally look at each other and they're like, I guess... Uh, I guess God was serious. That if we seek life without God, we get life without God. He kept his word. We lost everything. Because we gave up on him. And Zechariah is pleading, start today. Don't, don't be like your fathers who didn't repent until God kept his word on the worst of things. He pleads, start today. That's the message from Zechariah, and you hear it. Okay, I, I, that sounds great. I'm going to start today. Um, cool, and so you go back to your paneled house, because remember, you all got paneled houses? All right, you go back to your paneled house, you sit down, and you're like, Lord, what more do you want from me? You, your plea was return to me, and I'll return to you. I already returned. I already left Babylon. I gave that up. I came here. I went and I worship. so I, I attend worship, and I do work, and I've got a lot of things going on. Like, what, what more do you really want from me, God? Isn't it, aren't I doing the work? Knock at your panel door. You open it up. It's your friend Bezalil. That was one of those fun names. You're like, what's up, B? He's like, listen, there is a game show coming to town. And you're like, now we're talking. The prophet's been a little heavy. Game show time. This sounds good. And so you go with your friend Bezalel, and you roll into town. And the game show is called, verse 11, Ask the Priest About the Law. It's not a clever name, but that's all right. There's no TV. It's a, that's the name of the game show. Uh, for the kids in the room, there was not really a game show. I'm making jokes about this, um, but uh, just wanted you to lock in. So uh, Haggai the prophet says to the priest, question one. Verse 12, if someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? And the priests gather together. And Jeshua's like, no. Survey says, no, all right. They're all excited. Like, okay, we got that one right. Haggai leans back in. Question two, Haggai says, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? Bezalel's like, it's probably no again. And they're like, be quiet, Bezalel. You, know, you don't know. And they all talk to each other. They say, um, <clears throat> it does become unclean. Good answer. The priest got it right. I way to go. You're all excited. And then Haggai says this. So it is with this people. 
And with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. Here's the picture that Haggai, God had Haggai paint for the people. It's like, all right, listen, holiness doesn't transfer place to place, person to person. It transfers God to person. That's how holiness happens. Impurity can contaminate everything else. It's just like being sick, right? Like, Chris has a cold. I can't infect him with my health, where I'm like, oh, man, let me infect you. And he's like, oh, I caught your health. I feel great now. Like, that's not how science works. In the same way, our lives, holiness comes from our relationship with the Lord, not just because you're around holy things. In fact, when you are neglecting your spiritual life, when you are neglecting your relationship with God, and you are operating out of the strength of your own flesh, it infects everything, even the good things you do, as impure before God. And that's what he wanted them to know. You may live in the holy land. You may be here. You may be around the worship and around the work of the temple, but if you aren't in it, none of the work you're doing is holy. Nothing else you're touching. And and that's suddenly where it starts to make sense. You hear that message And the invite there is, hey, mark today down. Because you know what? When you get back to work, verse 15, when stone is laid upon stone, when that work starts, write down today. Because from this day forward, you won't see curses. You'll see blessing. That's what God tells them at the end of verse 19. But from this day on, I will bless you. And so you've been hearing all of this, and finally the light bulb goes off for you. You're like, wait, I've been so busy with all these things that are never actually going to fulfill that I neglected the one thing that fulfills everything. And you realize none of this invitation has actually been about God saying, I need you to do more stuff for me. I need you to read your Bible more and I need you to go to church more and I need you to give more and I need you to do more. None of it's been about that. The invitation has not been to his work. It's been to him the whole time. And where you find God is where his work is happening. Because that's how a covenant works. A covenant, two parties in a binding promise to complete a work together. God said, I'm completing a work. I've invited you to be a part of it. And so whenever you move towards the work of God, you move towards the person of God. And that's why he's been using this to get you back. It occurs to you. God says, I will bless you. And that blessing means his presence. And then you think back to Zechariah whose message was return to me and I return to you. If I turn to God, he comes back to me. And you think back to Haggai earlier in chapter two, whenever they were doing the work and he says, be strong. Why be strong? Because I am with you, because my presence is around you. And then you remember all the way back four months before. You remember all those months ago, you're in the sixth month And you're like, I remember whenever I saw them working on the foundation, the first people that that gave up the pursuit of all the silly things to the one thing that God made them for. And the moment that they went there, Haggai had another word for them. They got two words from Haggai that day. You go, well, what was the second one? Maybe Haggai was going to walk up and say, hey, God's got another word for you. Now that you're getting back to work, here's what you should know. God's really disappointed. He cannot believe that you spent 14 years just chasing after everything else like everyone else. Or maybe the message was going to be, hey, God just wants, God wants you all to know he had a great plan for you. Now you get like a, a mediocre plan because you rejected him for so long. So I hope you're happy. 
Spoiler alert, that's not what God said. You get to verse 13. They've turned their hearts to God. They fear the Lord. And as soon as they fear God and commit, we're going to obey him. Haggai walks back up and says, I have another message from God. It's a short one. You don't have to worry about it. It's real simple. I am with you, declares the Lord. Don't miss this. The moment that their hearts turn back to God, God declares to them, I'm with you. Hey, let's go back to the foundation and start working. God says, hey, I want you to know I'm with you. I am in it. I am here with you. The moment that you turned your heart back, I am in this work. You found me. That's who God is. That's how return works. You return to God and he welcomes you back right away. No shame, no guilt, no oh, all the time you missed. Just a constant invitation to say the rest of your life won't satisfy. Come back to me. And when you do, he welcomes you back. And so what the end of Haggai says is mark the day. It says right there in verse 18, consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month. Since the day the foundation was laid, 14 years ago, and all this, consider this day. Before this, while you neglected my work, I let, I let drought happen in the rest of your life. But mark down September 24th. Because when you got back to work, you experienced blessing from me. So what does this look like in our life practically? Let me give you just three ways to do this. Three words. Reflect, reorder, and remember. Reflect, reorder, and remember. That's how you come back. He says first, consider your ways. That was the message, wasn't it? Reflect. Just be still long enough to ask some serious questions about your life and your schedule and your calendar and where you're invested. When was the last time that you just were still with God and said, God, I'm putting the pace of my life before you. And I want to know why I do everything I do. So get still, consider your ways, and, and reflect. Where, where will these things really get me? Where will they really get our family? Where will they really get our church? Where will they really get our neighbors? After you do that, you reorder. This is something that we just did. Uh, a lot of our staff is going through a soul care journey together, kind of like an online class we're taking together. And one of the first tasks was that you took six to eight weeks out of your life and you wrote down everything that you felt like was a non-negotiable commitment and you put it all down. And once you did that, you went back through them and you began to mark out things that were there because of insecurity. I feel like this is a non-negotiable, but it's just because I'm afraid if I don't do it, this won't happen. I'm afraid if I don't do this, I won't have enough. I'm afraid if I don't do this. And then you mark out everything, not just from insecurity, you go through, that's people pleasing. I feel like this is on, uh, this has got to be a part of my life, but it really doesn't. That's just about people pleasing. It says go back through, put a line through everything that's there because you want to feel wanted. That your presence isn't actually necessary. It's just about being in a place that makes you feel more valuable. And so you put it on your calendar. Go through every place that's a great opportunity, but it's not strategic. Opportunistic, but not strategic. You go, hey, this may be a great opportunity, but is this strategic for my soul? Is this really going to make my soul flourish with the Lord? Because those things matter. And if my soul is in drought, 
My life will be in drought, but if my soul is flourishing, I will see flourishing throughout the rest of my life. And mark out the things you don't even know why they're there. Somehow this got on our calendar and it keeps happening. Why? Know your why. And, and, I'll, and I'll brag on my wife. She didn't know that, we were, that I was even going to preach this this week. But on Wednesday, we had uh, one, of ours, one of our sons. He was just tired. And dude was like, I'm, he was like, I'm so tired. He's like, I wish I didn't have to go to church tonight. Without blinking an eye. And she said, hey, that's fine. There's a lot of things in our life that we will give up before we give up gathering with God's people. So think about what other stuff might want to go away. Because you're going to need your church family in your life. And I was like, yes and amen. That, that's what it looks like to go, hey, I know my why for all these other things in my life. And if they don't produce a flourishing soul with the Lord, maybe I don't need them. So you pursue that. And then lastly, you remember. You remember the day that you sat down before the Lord and said, God, I'm putting the big rocks in first. Verse 15, the rocks, the stone upon stone in the temple, I'm returning to the work of God. I'm going to be about the things of God. I'm going to be about my relationship with God. I'm doing that first. Mark down the day that you started doing that so you can look back and go, can I not see that God is blessed? Before that day, while I neglected my spirit and my soul and the work of God to chase after all these other things, can I not see that God has been more fulfilling than all of these empty things in my life? Mark down the day and see that God will keep his promises because he has covenanted with you to keep his promises. That's what it looks like to return. And what I hope you hear me saying is this isn't about a return to a bunch of spiritual activity. This isn't Hey, so, so now, all right, we got to make sure that we, we go to church, we read our Bible, we do this thing, and we serve and do all of that. That's great. Church programming doesn't, doesn't need your attendance. That's not the point. You, your soul needs your presence. Your soul needs to be with the things that God said it needs to thrive. And that's why we want this for you. I want you to prioritize your spiritual well-being and then watch the rest of your life flourish. To put it another way, I use Jesus' words. I want you to not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but I want you to lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys or where thieves do not break in. For where your treasure is, your heart will be. So my hope is that you wouldn't be anxious about your life, what you're going to eat but won't get your fill, what you're going to drink but never be enough, or about your body, what you're going to put on but you'll never be warm. You don't need to worry about those things. But instead, Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Abide in Christ. Because apart from him, you can do nothing. That's the invite. And if you have had any excuse for why you are not returning to God from spiritual drought, I hope God has removed it today and said, mark down 24th day of the ninth month that I return to the Lord. Let's pray. God, I pray right now you are moving people back to you. Lord, I pray over the next few minutes that you would fight for people's souls in this room and you would fight for their, their heart and for their future and for their family. And Lord, anyone who's not experiencing the joy of being yours would be called back to you, full-hearted, knowing you keep your covenants.
Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to our podcast. We hope that you've been encouraged and challenged to take steps closer to Jesus. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, share with your friends. It really does make a difference. And lastly, make sure to follow us on all of our social media at FBC Jinx to keep up with all that's going on in the life of our church. Again, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week.